MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, June 25th, 2021. Today, an appellate court has suspended Rudy Giuliani's law license in New York. The U.S. economy grew 6.4% in Q1. Televangelist Jim Baker is slapped with a hefty fine for peddling a bogus COVID cure. At least 99 people are unaccounted for after a condominium collapsed in Florida. The Biden administration extends the eviction plan until the end of July. And President Biden and the bipartisan infrastructure group of senators have reached a deal. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. This is my last live. Well, not live. This is my last, I guess, newsy show uh, for a week. I'm going to be off for a week, but I have a whole host of incredible interviews. I've been recording sort of secretly over the last month or so that I will put out for you next week. So there will be amazing content you can listen to. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking later in the show to Robert Denault. He's an independent investigative journalist, And he just graduated from Duke Law School. So congratulations there. We'll be talking to him, uh, but getting an update on the Gates Greenberg investigation and all the Florida politics stuff. And uh, July 4th, you can see me at the Laugh Factory in Long Beach at 7 p.m. It will be the GIs of comedy and it's going to be great. So we'll see you then. We have a lot of news to get to. And later in the show, we're going to give you the good news with Amy Carrero. But first, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. I have a couple of headlines for you on this Friday, and then I'm going to leave you with a gift from me to you. Well, actually, from the New York State Appellate Court to you before I go on vacation. First up, Biden and the bipartisan group of infrastructure senators have reached a deal. It's got $579 billion in new spending for a total of $1.2 trillion. It's all traditional infrastructure, no human infrastructure, and nobody making less than $400,000 a year would be taxed to pay for it. They aren't saying where they're going to get the rest of the money. Uh, before Republicans wanted to raid the COVID money. And I think that might still be the case and they're just not saying it, but we don't have those details yet. Um, You know, they want to ring the bipartisan bell more for the international community than anything else. They want to send the message to autocrats like China that democracy does work. But the Dems aren't stupid. (laughs) They know the GOP will probably renege or won't vote for it. And uh, so they're running their $6 trillion bill in tandem when and if this deal falls apart or if it doesn't get the 60 votes in the Senate that it needs to pass bipartisanly. I'm betting Republicans won't vote for it and we'll end up with a much bigger bill throughout the budget reconciliation um, or through the using the budget reconciliation process. And we just actually heard from CNN that sources are saying some Republicans will refuse to vote for this infrastructure bill, the one that they wrote and negotiated on. They refuse to vote for it if Biden turns around later and uses budget reconciliation to do more human infrastructure and to put his jobs and family's plan forward. So basically, we're not going to vote for our own bill. We're not going to build a bridge if you're going to help people later. We just won't do that. But, you know, I think we'll end up seeing a budget reconciliation bill go through. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe both. But if they do a budget reconciliation bill, it won't be six trillion, probably three trillion, maybe three and a half trillion. But it will include human infrastructure, which the bipartisan deal does not. And it will be paid for by closing tax loopholes and ending some of Trump's tax spending and taxing the wealthy. Also, a condominium collapsed in Florida. Over 100 people have been accounted for, but 99 have not yet been accounted for. Once the search and rescue efforts have concluded, they will begin investigating what caused the collapse, and we'll keep you posted. And televangelist Jim Baker was smacked with a hefty penalty for promoting Silver Solution as a potential cure for the coronavirus, The state of Missouri sued Baker last year for marketing the colloidal silver solution to treat coronavirus early in the pandemic, promising the unapproved substance could cure the illness and others. According to Attorney General Eric Schmidt, uh, he announced that his office had recovered a $156,000 restitution fine. Schmidt's office also obtained a consent judgment against Baker and his Morningside Church Productions, prohibiting the televangelist from selling or advertising the product and that he must repay customers who had bought silver solution from him. Also in the news, the Biden administration on Thursday said it was extending the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's COVID-19 residential eviction moratorium until July 31st. The Federal Housing Agency, Federal Housing Finance Agency, has also extended the foreclosure moratorium for mortgages backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac until July 31st. 
And the U.S. Department of Justice on Thursday urged state courts to adopt strategies that will prevent families who are struggling to pay rent from being evicted from their homes during the COVID-19 pandemic. Vanita Gupta, the Justice Department's number three official, wrote in a letter to state court administrators that local courts can take steps on their own to help tenants while still protecting landlords' rights. The Treasury Department told states they can use federal funds to help avoid evictions through diversion plans, which emphasize housing stability services and emergency rental assistance. So that's that's cool. We got another month on that. And the U.S. economy grew a solid 6.4 percent rate in the first three months of the year, Q1, setting the stage for what economists believe may be the strongest year for the economy in about seven decades. Growth of the gross domestic product, the country's total output of goods and services, was unchanged from two previous estimates. The Commerce Department said Thursday an acceleration from the 4.3 percent pace of Q4 last year. Economists believe the economic growth has continued to accelerate in the current quarter, which ends this month, as vaccinations become widespread and Americans eager to get outside are being welcomed by newly reopened businesses. Surging activity from consumers is being fueled in part by the nearly $3 trillion in financial support the government approved since December. Additional economic data that emerged Thursday also points to a nation that has regained its footing quickly after being thwacked by a global pandemic, though jobless claims remain stubbornly above 400,000. This summer will be hot for the U.S. economy, says Lydia Bussor. She's a lead economist for Oxford Economics. As the health situation continues to improve, consumers sitting on piles of savings will give in to the urge to splurge on services and experiences they felt deprived of during the pandemic. Bussor forecasts the GDP growth in the current April-June quarter will surge to an annual rate of 12 percent, and growth for the entire year will come in at about 7.5 percent. That would be the best annual performance since 1951. All right, sit back, relax, grab a glass of Chablis as I read to you excerpts from the decision to suspend the law license of one Kaludi Rudy Giuliani from the Supreme Court of the State of New York Appellate Division, First Judicial Department. I feel like I should get my sexy voice, have some neat, uh, smooth jazz music or something going on behind me, because this is just so amazing. <clears throat> For the reasons that follow, we conclude that there is uncontroverted evidence that respondent, that's Rudy, communicated demonstrably false and misleading statements to courts, lawmakers, and the public at large in his capacity as lawyer for former President Donald J. Trump and the Trump campaign in connection with Trump's failed effort at re-election in 2020. These false statements were made to improperly bolster the respondent's narrative that due to widespread voter fraud, victory in the 2020 United States presidential election was stolen from his client. We conclude that respondents, the respondents' conduct immediately threatens public interests and warrants interim suspension from the practice of law pending further proceedings before the Attorney Grievance Committee. That's the committee that's mentioned several times, Attorney Grievance Committee, or AGC. During the course of this ongoing investigation into numerous complaints of respondents' alleged professional misconduct, the AGC seeks respondents' immediate suspension from the practice of law in the state of New York under certain circumstances, such serious interim relief is available pending a full formal disciplinary proceeding. Interim suspension is available even where formal charges have not yet been filed. In certain cases, the committee may, during the, the pendency of its investigation, make a motion to the court for an attorney's interim suspension. Interim suspension is a serious remedy available only in situations where it is immediately necessary to protect the public from the respondent's violation of the rules. So what they're saying here is the committee cracked open their case. They sat down. We're going to look into this here. And their hair immediately caught on fire. Their faces melted from all the despicable conduct. It was so bad they could not wait to finish their review that they had begun. They had to take a break, suspend his license right away because his lies put the public in danger and then go back to their review. Quote, only uncontroverted claims of professional misconduct may serve as a basis for interim suspension in this motion. In connection with its claim that uncontroverted attorney misconduct has occurred, the AGC relies upon the following provisions of the New York Rules of Professional Conduct. 3.3, which says a lawyer shall not knowingly make false statements of fact or law to a tribunal. Rule 4.1 provides in the course of representing a client, a lawyer shall not knowingly make false statements of fact or law to a third person. And Rule 8.4, a lawyer or firm shall not engage in conduct involving dishonesty, fraud, deceit, misrepresentation, or engage in any other conduct that adversely reflects on the lawyer's fitness as a lawyer. So you can't make yourself look dumb. Respondent raises an overarching argument that the AGC's investigation into his conduct violates his First Amendment right of free speech. 
He does not attack the constitutionality of the particular disciplinary rules. He seemingly claims they are unconstitutional as they're applied to him. Yet we reject that argument. (laughs) So he's saying, you're violating my First Amendment rights. These rules, these New York rules don't violate the Constitution, but you're violating my rights. Okay, Rudy. Now I'm paraphrasing because the legalese gets a little deep here, but Rudy defended himself saying he didn't know what he was saying was a lie. And the court acknowledges that the committee must satisfy a knowing standard. So the committee says he knowingly made false statements. And Rudy said, but I didn't know they were false. But the court says, it's on you. It's on you, Rudy, to demonstrate that there's some legitimate dispute. And conclusory or vague arguments or references to affidavits he won't provide and sources that he won't disclose or other, quote, nebulous, unspecified information won't prevent the court from concluding misconduct occurred. Respondent can't create a controverted issue of misconduct based on what he does not submit to the court. (laughs) Okay, so let me see if I can explain what that means. Uh, These are the instances of misconduct. First, Rudy lied his face off. Uh, Respondent repeatedly stated that in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, more absentee ballots came in during the election than were sent out before the election. The factual proof quote unquote, he claimed supported his conclusion was that although Pennsylvania sent out only 1.8 million absentee ballots, 2.6 million came back. The factual statement regarding the number of ballots mailed out before the election was untrue. The true facts are 3.08 million absentee ballots were mailed out, uh, which were more than accounted for the 2.5 they got back. Notwithstanding the true facts, the respondent repeatedly advanced false statements that there were 600 to 700,000 fabricated mail-in ballots which were never sent to voters in advance of the election. Now, Rudy does not deny that his factual statement that only 1.8 million ballots were requested was untrue. His defense is he didn't make the misstatement knowingly. Respondent claims he relied on some unidentified member of his quote-unquote team who quote-unquote inadvertently took the information from the Pennsylvania website, which had the information mistakenly listed. That's according to a Giuliani affidavit. There's simply no proof to support this explanation. For instance, there's no affidavit from the supposed team member who is not identified by name or otherwise, nor is there any copy of the webpage that purportedly listed the allegedly incorrect data. In fact, the only proof in this record is the official data on the website, which correctly lists the ballots requested at 3.08 million. That's one example. Next up, Rudy's court appearance in Pennsylvania. The respondent repeatedly represented to the court that his client, the plaintiff, was pursuing a fraud claim when, indisputably, They were not. Respondent's mischaracterization of the case was not simply a passing mistake or an inadvertent reference. Fraud was the crown of his personal argument before the court that day. In his opening remarks, respondent claimed that the allegations in the complaint concerned widespread nationwide voter fraud, of which this is a part. He persisted in making wide-ranging conclusory claims of fraud in Pennsylvania elections and other jurisdictions allegedly occurring over a period of many years. Respondent argued that the plaintiff's fraud arguments pertain to the canvassing claim, notwithstanding that there was neither fraud nor a canvassing claim before the court. (laughs) Hmm. These proceedings were opened by phone line to as many as 8,000 journalists and other members of the public. At the outset, the argument, it was reported that at least 3,700 people had already dialed in. The respondent argues there was no misconduct because he truthfully told the court that day they were there. There were no fraud claims. That's what he said. But this defense rings hollow. The respondent's original position that there was a fraud claim was made despite an amended complaint in which his very own client withdrew any fraud-related claim. Respondent's own counsel represented in respondent's presence that the plaintiff was not asserting a fraud claim. And there was an extensive argument by opposing counsel. It's indisputable that the respondent had to be aware that there were no fraud claims in the case. Significant time and effort were expended on respondents' false misrepresentations to the court regarding the nature of the proceedings, and this resulted in respondents' arguments in support of fraud appearing to be seemingly unanswered on the record and misleading to the listening public because fraud was not a part of the case. Admissions of the true status of the case did not occur until he was pressed by the court to concede the point at page 118 of the transcript. These misstatements violated RPC 3.3 because they were made before a tribunal. They also violated RPC 4.1 because they were made to third parties, consisting of over 3,700 members of the press and the public. Ooh, I helped. I was on that call. I was, I, I was dialed in listening to that. <laughs> so he made a false statement to the public, me and 3,700 other people. 
he violated the rules by doing that. Respondent repeatedly stated dead people voted in Philadelphia in order to discredit the results. He quantified the amount of dead people who voted uh, at various times as 8,021, while also reporting the number as 30,000. As the anecdotal poster child to prove this point, he repeatedly stated that famous heavyweight boxer Joe Frazier continued to vote years after he was dead. Public records submitted on this motion show that respondent's statement is false. As for the respondent's argument that his misstatements were unknowing, Rudy failed to provide a scintilla of evidence for any of the varying and wildly inconsistent numbers of dead people he factually represented voted in Philadelphia. (laughs) Rudy repeated to lawmakers and the public at large numerous false and misleading statements regarding the Georgia presidential results. Respondent made extensive wide-ranging claims about Dominion Voting System, Inc.'s voting machines manipulating the vote tallies to support his narrative. Respondent's statement that the vote count was inaccurate without reference to the hand audits was misleading. At various times, respondent claimed that 65,000 or 66,000 or 165,000 underage voters illegally voted in Georgia. Respondent does not expressly deny the truth of this information. Instead, he claims that he reasonably relied on expert affidavits, but he did not provide any of those to the court. (laughs) Rudy stated to lawmakers and the public at large that more than 2,500 Georgia felons voted illegally. That statement is also false. And Rudy claimed to rely on another affidavit that he did not hand over to the court. Rudy stated that 6,000 dead people voted in Georgia. Georgia found only two dead people that voted, both for Trump. That statement was false. Rudy represented that the video evidence, there was video evidence from security cameras in Georgia depicting election officials engaging in the illegal counting of mail-in ballots. Also a lie. Respondent made false and misleading statements that illegal aliens had voted in Arizona during the 2020 election. These false facts were made by the respondent to perpetuate his overall narrative that the election had been stolen from Trump. We recognize that the committee has identified other instances of respondents' misconduct. We make no substantive decision on those additional claims right now because the record is insufficiently developed on those claims in this motion for interim relief. What they're saying here is there's way more shit, but we had to stop and immediately suspend his shit because of the risk to the public. Quote, the risk the respondent will continue to engage in future misconduct while the disciplinary proceeding is pending is further borne out by his past persistent and pervasive dissemination of these false statements in the media. This is not a situation where the uncontroverted misconduct consists of only a few isolated incidents. Rather, each of the false statements identified and analyzed herein were made multiple times on multiple platforms, reaching countless members of the public. They continued after this motion was brought, and despite respondent facing imminent suspension from the practice of law, the seriousness of the respondent's uncontroverted misconduct cannot be overstated. When those false statements are made by an attorney, it also erodes the public's confidence in the integrity of attorneys admitted to our bar and damages the profession's role as a crucial source of reliable information. And that right there, y'all, is what I hear most from my lawyer friends, that, that, that he's disgracing their profession. Back to the thing here. Accordingly, the committee's motion should be granted and the respondent is suspended from the practice of law in the state of New York, effective immediately until further order of this court. It is further ordered that the respondent is commanded to desist and refrain from the practice of law in any form, either as principal or agent, clerk or employee of another, that respondent is forbidden to appear as an attorney or counselor at law before any court, judge, justice, board or commission or public authority, any other public authority, that respondent is forbidden to give another opinion as to law or its application or advice in relation thereto, All effective, the date hereof, until such a time as disciplinary matters pending before the committee have been concluded and until further order of this court. (sighs) Happy Friday. We'll be right back with Robert Denault. We're going to have an update on the Gates-Greenberg case. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Everybody, it's AG, and thanks for listening to The Daily Beans. Today's episode is brought to you by Titan. If any of you have tried to get into the investment game, you know that Wall Street kind of ignores us everyday investors and they sort of only cater to the ultra wealthy. For way too long, the average investor like you and me has been neglected and we get the same old generic advice. Meanwhile, the ultra rich get access to premium investment strategies, white glove service, top of the line everything. Well, this divide didn't sit well with the creators of Titan, who've introduced a world class investment manager that you can put in your pocket. It is for the rest of us. Thanks to Titan, everyday investors can have their capital invested like a premier investment firm all through the Titan mobile app. Titan's goal 
is to give you access to the best investment experience in the world, but without the high minimums, the performance fees, the lockups, etc. Their in-house investment team invests your capital using their strategies, award-winning strategies, and they deliver daily research updates to you via the Titan app. Titan aims to grow your capital over the long term by identifying those rare species of stocks known as compounders, and they hold on to them for you. With Titan, it's like having an elite investment manager in your pocket. And at Titan, they don't just expertly invest your capital. They actually explain everything to you because they know we're not nine. By giving their clients courtside seats, they become the smartest investors they've ever been. Titan manages hundreds of millions of dollars for over 25,000 clients and counting. And it was named the 2020 Top Investment App of the Year by U.S. News. So if you're thinking about investing, I highly recommend you check out Titan. To get started, just go download the Titan app. Start investing with Titan today. You'll get three months with zero fees. Just visit titanvest.com slash daily beans. You'll get three months with zero fees at titanvest, T-I-T-A-N-V-E-S-T dot com slash daily beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, I am super excited. It's my happy day. I'm in my happy place because today we get to talk to independent journalist and recent Duke Law School graduate. Congratulations. Thank you. Please welcome Robert Denault. How are you? I'm so good. Glad to be back. Ready to get back into the muck of Florida <laughs> swampy criminal schemes with me? <laughs> yeah, well, you just graduated law school. You're about to be more credentialed than Rudy Giuliani, who lost <laughs> his law license today. Yeah, I feel like I'm in one direction, and he's just steadily been moving in the opposite direction for the last, uh, I don't know, four years or so. But yeah. Yeah, you could do a graph. You know, like a, <laughs> yeah, a, a professional <laughs> Correlation or causation? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I can take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I want to talk to you about today is you are you are like deep dive independent journalist into what's going on in Florida, Tallahassee, Central Florida politics, uh, high school that nobody graduates, <laughs> as somebody referred to it, one of the women, one of the many Gates women. But what's going on? Because a lot of people are wondering recently in my latest episode of Mueller, she wrote one of my other shows. I drafted a couple of fellas named Ingersoll and Ellicott to my fantasy indictment league. And everyone's like, why? Why are you doing that? What's up with that? And I was like, well, we're coming up on the long publicly reported time frame of a charging decision for Matt Gates, which is July, July, August. Some say July, August, some say July, uh, which means if you're going to get plea agreements and roll people up that are lower, you're going to do it beforehand. So we've got Greenberg. We've got Gates. Not yet. And then in between, we've got these other figures who I think are next uh, on the chopping block. But you tell me what's going on. You have the updates. Yeah, I, I think it is like heating to a point where we know this has been going on. In Greenberg's case, this investigation is almost two or three years old at this point. So we're really deep into the weeds. I think the public found out about how expansive this was in March. So it still feels recent. I think people are sort of confused about why it exploded onto the scene in the spring and then sort of nothing's happened yet. But I don't think they realized that. Uh, I think some reporting indicated the first Gates witnesses were subpoenaed and talked to last August. So that's been going on for a long time. That's not something that is you know just erupted in March when we finally publicly found out about it because he, you know, insisted he was being blackmailed (laughs) by the Department of Justice. I don't know what happened to that uh, whole situation. But so I think your draft of uh, this person, Keith Ingersoll, is an astute observation. Some eagle-eyed Twitter sleuths have really been working this case, and I would count myself among them last summer, and we were few and far between back then. But now there's some Florida residents who are really taking it upon themselves to dig through corporate records. Uh, Florida's very open with public records requests, so they're they're you know not wasting any time going straight to the Seminole, Seminole County tax collector's office or the county commissioner's office and asking for public records related to Joel Greenberg's pretty incredible spending spree as tax collector. And that's really where I think the nuggets are going to be buried in this case. And I've been saying that for a bit. Um, Although the sex stuff always gets the most attention, Greenberg spent nearly $5 million by some accounts of taxpayer money on these inexplicable contracts to family and friends and lobbyists and his campaign consultants. These are not normal expenditures for a local public official to be just giving work 
contracts that have almost no work product being exchanged and auditors explain them and Greenberg can't explain them. And I said, I think the last time I appeared here that I thought federal prosecutors were certainly going to want him to explain the laundry list of, you know, 30 to 40 contracts that went to people with no inexplicable work product. And one of those contracts went to this individual, Keith Ingersoll. Um, who appears to be a, a close associate of, of Greenberg's, but was also engaged in some very odd business ventures during the period that Joel was in office and paying him, one of which was a cryptocurrency scheme. No. <laughs> <laughs> How many of those are we going to see before this is over? It's wild. It seems like they are really flourished down in Florida. And that's just an aside, you know, not just to do with Greenberg, but in general, there's been a lot of securities fraud prosecutions for fake, what they call ICOs, um, coin offerings. Uh, it, it's, it looks like a lot of people are taking advantage of the crypto craze by making very fraudulent claims about what their cryptocurrency will do and trying to solicit investments from people who are unsuspecting, you know, just trying to get in on the crypto market. Um, I can't say that's exactly what Keith Ingersoll was doing. We don't really know much about his cryptocurrency operation. We know it was called Organic Fresh Coin. Uh, and uh, I can say that uh, Scott Stedman, who I used to work with uh, at Forensic News, but I no longer work there, but he and I have been discussing this at length, and he has some very juicy tidbits about Keith Ingersoll, and we are working together on a story about Keith's connections to some interesting foreign figures who seem to have been working with him on his cryptocurrency operation. So that is something I keep my eye on. What country? <laughs> I would say they are Eastern European. <laughs> Is that what you would say? <laughs> they, they come from a few places. Um, and, and we'll get into those details. They were from everywhere. They yeah. were from a few. Yeah, but uh, very weird. And, and I think it's especially notable because sort of lost in the shuffle of this crazy case are these reports about uh, I, I think we both discussed this, the ABC News update. It was sort of like a placeholder. It wasn't really a ton of new revelations in there. They just sort of keep everyone updated that, hey, this... Yeah, I, I know. I like, <laughs> I, I said that to you. I was like, eh, yes, and? Yeah, like it was just a bunch of things that we already knew about. Here's a bunch of people who've been subpoenaed. But there was one nugget in there, which was that a new batch of subpoenas was sent around in May. Uh, it seems like late in May, and that one of those subpoenas went to Keith Ingersoll. And it was asking for lots of information about contracts, apparently, and things like that. So ABC News, go check that out if you haven't read that yet. But I think it makes your selection of Keith uh, possibly an apt one for your fantasy draft indictment here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what else? Uh, what else is going on in, in, in that in that case? I know that you're looking at a lot of different aspects of this. So, you know that I have uh, been fixated on the connection between Greenberg and this fellow named Jacob Engels who has, yeah. I think, gone just so unscrutinized by the mainstream media. He is a very close associate of Roger Stone. Um, and, and Stone is somebody who very much gets out and defends himself uh, from being, quote, connected to figures on, you know, involved in the insurrection and uh, involved in other schemes. And he sort of disclaims and says, you know, there's a photo of us, but that doesn't mean I know this person. Well, Engels is someone <laughs> he absolutely can't do that with because they've worked together on many projects in open court uh, when that image was posted of Judge Amy Berman Jackson with a crosshair near her head. So yep. Under oath said Engels was one of a few people who had access to his social media accounts. He had access to his phones. So these two are people who work together. Engels has self-identified as Roger Stone's mini-me to the Daily Beast. Engels uh, lives in Central Florida and was heavily invested in promoting Joel Greenberg on his far-right blog, The Central Florida Post. And if you recall, I think the last time I appeared, we, we talked a bit about Engels and how Engels was posting videos smearing the same candidate. Greenberg was eventually convicted, pleaded guilty to harassing and stalking by fabricating allegations of child abuse against. Um, and Engels was creating these videos that sort of paralleled that. They didn't out and out say that, but they accused uh, this person, Brian Butte, who was a local Republican school teacher, of being creepy. What was happening was Joel fabricated these letters accusing this candidate. Uh, he, he pretended to be children who went to this candidate's school. He pretended that Brian Butte 
had committed child abuse and they heard about it and they were concerned for other students. These were sent to Butte's school, which didn't really believe the allegations and thought it was a smear campaign. Um, but Angles, at the same time, was making requests for all records of misconduct that were sent to Brian Butte's school and was calling Butte creepy in videos and was saying he was uh, maybe implicated in some, quote, tromboning incident at this local school. So it's sort of these these smear campaigns were running in tandem, whether that's enough evidence to show that Engels really knew Greenberg was undertaking a criminal, you know, fabricated conspiracy is is a whole other thing. Leave it to a friend of Roger Stone to know what tromboning is. That's (laughs) all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a little bit too much of a coincidence, I think, for the lay observer to believe that he had no idea what Greenberg was doing. Um, but whether that's enough in a court of law is a whole separate question. What I have uncovered and what some other reporters have started to report on is that Engels had links to a Republican woman named L.A. Key, Leslie Ann Key, who uh, in January 2017, created a brand new consulting company called MAGA Advisory Limited. This was right as Joel Greenberg was taking office. She lives in Central Florida. She, as far as I can see, had no prior consulting experience. I don't know what she was offering, but she incorporated this company in a month well, later. That's, that's what the limited means in MAGA Advisory yeah. Limited. It's just it's it's very limited, limited advice. Yeah. And her name is L.A. Key, you said? Yeah. L.A. Key. And, and I don't know much about her. Her presence, um, you know, in public is kind of limited. I gather from sources I've talked to that she's sort of a prominent MAGA socialite. She's been at a lot of MAGA events over the last few years, but um, not a not a traditional political operative, at least as far as I can tell. She incorporated this company. And I think I mentioned it the last time I was here. And a month later, she got one of these contracts from Joel Greenberg. Uh, it was a monthly contract for twenty five hundred dollars a month. Now, WFTV has unsealed that she received $105,000 in salaried income from the tax collector's office. All the while, 10 months, I discovered this and some other Twitter users also flagged it for me. Uh, She started a company, a private nonprofit organization with none other than Jacob Engels. It's called the Florida Strong Fund, and it was ostensibly to raise money for the victims of Hurricane Irma. But I can't find any evidence that they did that. And it's pretty remarkable that this uh, separate company, which Engels had access to and partial control over, he was a board member for the company, was opened at the same period of time this woman is receiving taxpayer money from Joel Greenberg. And at the same time, Engels is undertaking his promotion of Greenberg as a candidate and the smear campaign against Brian Butte. My gosh. And so... It's certainly something that within the scope of these contracts and these audits, these prosecutors are going to be interested in looking into. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, and I want to ask a couple, about a couple of different things. Sure. Uh, now that you, uh, you know, you're freshly stamped Duke Law graduate, I have a couple of questions, but we need to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. Thanks. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hello, Leguminati. It's Allison Gill. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Quince. If you're like me and you appreciate the style and quality of designer clothes, but not the exorbitant high prices, you will love Quince. They have luxury products that don't have to be expensive. Uh, but they're, you know, normally luxury stuff is marked up like eight to ten times by retailers because of the whole middleman thing. But Quince connects you directly with the factories that make products for the world's leading luxury brands. So you get the highest quality products at insanely low prices. I am so glad I discovered Quince. It's been amazing finding so many luxury products for such affordable prices. And I found incredible apparel, cashmere, bags, handbags, bedding, accessories, home goods and more at 50 to 80% less than what I'd pay for the same quality at most expensive luxury brand stores. At Quince, you'll find the finest quality in a wide variety of products like Italian leather handbags crafted in Florence, silk loungewear and pajamas, great for the summer, five-star hotel quality Turkish cotton bathrobes, I got one, it's amazing, 100% great in Mongolian cashmere sweaters, Belgian linen sheets, oh, they're so nice and they sleep so cool. They have so many things. Quince goods are not only gorgeous, they're high quality, but they're also sold at radically lower prices. And they're also made in a sustainable way, which is important to us at The Beans. And with Quince, everything is 100% factory direct, like I said. No markups, no middlemen. Every Quince product is guaranteed to meet or exceed the quality standards of leading luxury brands, which is why their customers rate Quince so highly. 
Check out some of their five-star reviews, like this one from Rebecca, who says, Wow, everything about this skirt exceeded expectations. I never found something of comparable quality for less than at least two and a half times this price. And it's rare to find 100% silk, even when you pay up. Quince, you've done it again. And best of all, with Quince, there's free shipping and returns for a year, 365 days. And if you're not completely satisfied, they'll give you a full refund, so there's no risk. So to get from 50 to 80% off top-of-the-line clothing and home goods plus free shipping, text the word DAILY to 64000. Again, text the word DAILY to 64000. Terms apply. You can read them at onequince.com slash terms and text the word DAILY to 64000. Welcome back. We're talking to independent journalist Robert Denault about the goings-on in Florida. And uh, before the break, you were mentioning this sort of, I don't even know, cluster uh, of interesting people. L.A. Key, Leslie Ann Key, founder of MAGA Advisory Limited. Uh, Then we have a Florida Strong Fund, which was put together by who again? Greenberg? And no. So Key, Engels, and another woman who was apparently a local Republican woman were the board members who were. The socialite, the MAGA socialite. Yes. And so now we've got, so it does. It shouldn't come to a shock to us when we had read previously uh, in the early on Matt Gates reporting that somebody had been, got like a no-show job, basically. One of these women got a no-show job. Uh, but that's a totally separate thing. But that seems like a common theme with Greenberg is a lot of these no-show jobs and, and no-show contracts. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, the quiet nexus of this whole case. Um, There's, you know, according to some audits, between three and a half and five million dollars paid out in suspicious contracts that were not fully accounted for or didn't make sense with traditional types of spending by the Seminole County Tax Collector's Office. And that kind of spending by a local, you know, MAGA involved person on these political operations, it's going to raise huge red flags for these prosecutors. And now that they have his cooperation, they're certainly going to want some explanations for why certain people were getting, you know, to some degree, hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money, not Joel Greenberg's money, taxpayer money spent to MAGA consultants and, you know, uh, former campaign officials that worked for Greenberg. It doesn't look right. And they're going to want answers on that stuff. Well, right. I, I, I'm assuming, I would at least hope so, that Florida has laws on the books about using taxpayer money for political campaigns, but, you know, trying to funnel it through. And this is really shoddy funneling work, by the way. I mean, couldn't yeah. you have at least gone through, I don't know, a shell company in Delaware or something? But I mean, walk us through the the illegality, uh, at least what's running afoul of, of campaign violations here for campaign finance violations or bribery. I mean, what are what could they possibly be looking at? It's I mean, it's it seems so odd. It's complicated. It's one of those things that it's like this, this doesn't happen like this often. So it's hard to see exactly like we know it's bad, but is it really a crime? Like, is this enough to to actually put people in jail? I think when it comes to federal prosecutions, because let's just note, Florida has just completely dropped the ball in this entire case. They never even pursued avenues of investigation. They got reports over four years of his tenure about this kind of misconduct. They did nothing. So now we have to answer the question, do the feds have a federal law, a federal hook into any of these kinds of things? I think you see it in the Greenberg indictment, how a lot of these things are prosecuted under a theory of fraud. And I had a great professor in in law school who basically theorized, it taught us that the entirety of white collar crime is based on theories of fraud, even when it's not called fraud. It's basically all just theories of fraud. And it's so true when you consider, you know, embezzlement, um, wire fraud, bank fraud, mortgage fraud, they all run through the same thing. And it's making false statements. If you misrepresent where money comes from or why you deserve a loan, when you try to legitimize the proceeds of some nefarious agreement or something you really shouldn't be getting, that can be a federal hook for prosecutors. And you can bet they're going to look for, you know, in Greenberg's case, a lot of it was wire fraud. It was, it was opening bank accounts and moving money that wasn't supposed to be moved between accounts. You're lying to the bank. So that can be the hook. Uh, they're going to look for that in these cases of these individuals who received money via contracts where they were they trying to hide it from taxes? Were they trying to hide it um, in different accounts? Were they trying to move it offshore? Were they trying to pump it into crypto in some sort of illegal way? Were they using it to commit 
other crimes. Um, so there might be hooks beyond it. We know that the prosecutors are also looking into bribery based on other reporting. I think the marijuana um, legislation seems to be, from what I gather, the main hook for that. I don't see other types of quid pro quo legislation in exchange for donation type things going on here. Um, but it's loose. I mean, the marijuana thing might even implicate some Democrats, it seems like, in Florida. I mean, it just seems this this probe into whether people like Gates or others were paid for their votes to legalize medical marijuana down there. Um, it could implicate a lot of people across Florida. So that might be the bribery hook, but it's very hard to prove bribery. So they might try to go after a more fraud-based type, type indictment. Yeah, that makes sense. Because because trying to prove that somebody got a no-show job or a no-show contract in exchange for publicly smearing an opponent, uh, determining if that was intent, if there was intent behind it, if it's a thing of value, and if the money was paid in compensation for that thing, it's just sounds like a nightmare thing to prove to me. A lot of elements. The thing with angles that's very intriguing, I think maybe more than anything, is that of everybody, all the crimes that Joel Greenberg has pleaded guilty to, the one that he pleaded guilty to with respect to Butte, you know, if Engels was involved in that and prosecutors have enough evidence to say there, we know that from the court filings, there was an unindicted co-conspirator in that case. And so if Engels is that unindicted co-conspirator and Greenberg can give the type of evidence that corroborates that he knew and took steps to further this harassment, this stalking of this candidate, it may not be super hard to get him on a conspiracy charge there. I, I, it's, it's, it's hard to say. It depends on what Greenberg might have to back up um, his word because his word is not gold. <laughs> right. I think he's firmly uh, you know, established that Greenberg hasn't always told the truth, that he, quote unquote, tried to cooperate last year. But whether he really was, I don't know. He was writing letters to Roger Stone trying to get a pardon, apparently. So, I mean, I don't know if that's full cooperation. So mm-hmm. I, we'll see if he has messages or sort of communications to, to back that up. You could hook Engels in some different charges there if it's there. You know, I, I, I want to hedge that. I mean, Engels has not been charged with any wrongdoing. But there was an unindicted co-conspirator named by the prosecutors in that case. And they said they had no intent to use him as a witness. So it does not seem like that person was a, a cooperator. Mm, yeah. And, and to be clear, unindicted co-conspirator doesn't mean we're not going to indict that guy. It just means they are not indicted currently uh, is what that means. Exactly. So I just wanted everybody to be clear on that because sometimes people get that conflated with they're not going to be indicted. Yeah. And they may not. Right. But that's not what it means. Right. Okay, well, thank you so much for this update. And again, everybody, we have a charging decision time frame for the big dogs in July. And so look for these little, look for the helpers, as Mr. Rogers would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep your eye on it. It's, it's going to be complicated, but I would expect this to maybe incur in rounds. I think there will be rounds of different um, layers of this case that, that prosecutors focus on one at a time because it's very, very, very complex. Yes, it is. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. I will tell everyone where to follow you on, on the on the webs. Follow me at Robert J. Denault on Twitter. Um, I've also started a Substack that I've been covering sort of corruption, criminal corruption issues on. Uh, it's called Creatures of the Swamp, and you can find that linked on my Twitter account. So I look forward to uh, publishing more juicy stories in the vein of Florida corruption coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's Allison for The Beans, and my lawyer listeners know I don't only love beans, but I love grapes, the wine kind. A fair bit I know about wine, but I'm not like sommelier level. But shopping for wine can be a pain, right? Because you stand in the aisle, there's a million choices, you have like like selection overload, the employees aren't helpful because they don't know what you like, and that is where First Leaf comes to the rescue. It's a better way to discover wine at a fraction of the price that you'll find in the store. First Leaf is a fully customizable wine club. They send you curated boxes of wine that are perfect for you, and they're based on what you like. And they have more award-winning wine than anyone else. With First Leaf, there's no guesswork, no misguided recommendations from employees that don't know you. Each wine shipment is entirely customized to your unique palate and preferences. And unlike big box wine memberships, First Leaf uses a -a one-of-a-kind algorithm uh, and your feedback to curate these wine recommendations. 
The more wines you taste and review, the better the shipments get. I love their system of rating different wines, too. I give specific preferences based on personal taste, and my shipments get better every week. And the great thing is First Leaf works directly with the world's best winemakers. So not only do they find you the best wines available, but they pass the savings on to you by eliminating the middleman. You can save up to 60% off retail. It's convenient, too. I love doing the unboxings. Uh, I love doing the tastings. I like how flexible their subscription system is. It's up to me what wines I get and when I get them and how often I get them. Uh, it's just truly amazing. Save time, money, and stress with First Leaf. It's the wine club designed with you in mind. Join today. You'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash dailybeans. Six bottles of wine, y'all. Six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash dailybeans. And today's episode is also brought to you by Credit Karma Money. Uh, look, 2020 was a tough year, personally and financially, for so many of us. A lot of us ran up a lot of debt, lived on a lot of credit card debt, uh, and we've been working to pay it off. And if you want to improve your finances for 2021, I highly recommend trying Credit Karma. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help even more with Credit Karma Money Spend. It's, it's an account you open. You can be rewarded for making good money habits and good money choices. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma too. It's a purchase reimbursement on items to up to $5,000. You just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you're automatically notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma Cash will be added right back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. So open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirement, no overdraft fees, which I love, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you will be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See the rules for details. Banking services provided by MVB Bank. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow it And it's Friday. That means I am joined by Amy Carrero. How are you, Amy? Hi, I'm doing good. It's summertime. It's hot. You know, just living life. Indeed. Tell me about your projects. You, I know you just finished something up and you're working on something else. Like, we have so much going on. I yeah, love I'm, well, I'm wearing my EXU t-shirt, which is Alexandria Unlimited, which is the, the name of the miniseries I'm doing for Critical Role. And that drops, um, well, I guess tomorrow it'll be yesterday um, on Twitch and it'll be available on YouTube on Monday to watch on demand. So if you missed it yesterday, go on YouTube, watch it there. And people can see your outfits and yeah. stuff if they go on yeah, YouTube. You can, yeah, yeah, you see the outfits. It's a lot. Because I've seen them. I've seen them all. <laughs> I have inside Scoop. information, y'all. And it's important that you watch this on YouTube. <laughs> and then I'm going to Boston Um in a couple days to do that um, movie that I was telling you about with uh, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. So I'm like so excited to be in Boston in the summer. I've never been to Boston in the summer. I've only been there in February, which is arguably the worst time to be in, in Boston. And I still loved it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to like all of the lobster rolls, all of them. Mm. Yeah. And if they need any kind of, uh, you know, middle-aged yacht rock lady for anything, <laughs> just... Let me know. Yes, I'll, they need I'll a roll Toto in with, cover band, but all girls. I'll roll in with Tata called Tata. Tata. <laughs> I'll roll in. I'll roll in with my caftan and a Riesling. Perfect. And um, some yeah, some Toto on my on my on my headphones will be ready to You're go. Ready. Uh, and if not, just tell Will Ferrell. I think. <laughs> okay. I have the you know. I guess a lot of people thought that. Um, I didn't quit comedy. They just thought because of COVID, I hadn't done it in so long. Yeah. And so I've been getting invites to do comedy shows. So somebody called me up from the Laugh Factory <gasps> and and they were like, hey, come do this show. Fourth of July. It's veterans. You know, it's Independence Day. You're a veteran. You're a comedian. And I and I was like, OK, like I, I didn't oh. <laughs> I didn't tell him like. Fuck yeah. And now like, you have all this new material. I'm assuming there's just I mean, you have to open up with how Rudy lost his license today. 
Rudy, sh- he's probably pissing his face somewhere. You could literally do like a tight five just on that. I know, right? Uh, it wouldn't be clean, no. but it would be tight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we do have a lot of really great listeners submitted. Uh, good, That's the Long Beach Laugh Factory, by the way, July 4th, if yes. anybody wants to go. I don't know if how to get tickets, but uh, I'll be up there doing a little guesty spot with my friends at the GIs of Comedy, and I'm really excited Oh, that's it. so cool. Can, or do you think you'll record it or someone will... Can, can you record it i'd love to see it i'll try it i've had a lot of people ask yeah. me that um and i used to record all my sets like people how people like look at yeah. tapes for NFL oh, sure, and sure, stuff sure, like sure. that replay and i would like watch myself and make sure i wasn't fidgeting yeah. or scratching my ass or messing with my hair too much you know how you do yeah and uh but uh, you know i don't know we'll oh i'd love to happens. see it um it'll be interesting yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, I can probably just bring my little iPhone and stick my little tripod up there and take a video of it. That's it'll be so much fun huh. to get back on stage, I'm sure. I don't know. I'm actually nervous. I haven't been nervous in like 10 years. It's good to be a little nervous. <laughs> I, fe- I feel like the nerves bring something. You know what I mean? As long as they're not debilitating, it kind of keeps you a little bit right. on your toes, which is cool. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. But uh, we have uh, our, our listeners submitted awesomeness that yes. we, we should probably talk about because people can send in their confessions and corrections, misheard lyrics, shared swears, find the cat, happy places, what the mutt, Louis Gohmert's dumb, town twisters, <gasps> limericks, whatever you have. We have so many games now. And if you have an idea for a new game, I'm totally down. You can send it in to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I'll go ahead and kick us off with Kirsten Z, pronoun she and her. Good news in organizing. Deadline for democracy events are taking place all around the nation during the congressional recess the weeks of June 28th through July 10th before AG heads off for her well-deserved break. <laughs> uh, is Are they asking me if, if that's before? Yes. No, that is that is right during. I am. That is right while I'm gone. Over 80 groups, including Indivisible, Voto Latino, the Service Employees International Union, Alliance for Justice, and many more have formed a coalition to get people out to rallies and events during this congressional recess to put the For the People Act and the necessity of ending the filibuster. Yes, nice. to pass it. Uh, literally, anyone can schedule an event. If you have five people, some poster board and Sharpies, and someone to take pictures and post to social media using hashtag deadline for democracy and hashtag and the filibuster and hashtag for the people act, you can set up an event. We need to put maximum pressure on our lawmakers to convince them that the For the People Act is necessary to save American democracy and ending the filibuster is necessary to get uh, the For the People Act passed. It's that simple. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. So. yep. Cool. Everybody, you can set all you need is five people, some poster boards and the hashtags and you're good to go. Thank you, Kirsten. So cool. Thank you. Uh, Next up, we have Renee. Renee with an accent pronouns. She, her. Hello, Allison, Dana and Amy. I wanted to share some good news. On Wednesday night, we attended a reception slash funder for the new Pennsylvania project, MPP, to support expanding Pennsylvania's electorate to reflect our Commonwealth's demographically changing population. Pennsylvania is one of the states trying to restrict the right to vote, especially among people of color. The NPP and executive director Kadita Kenner will work to register voters and encourage them to vote in every election by talking about issues that matter to voters. Kadita, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I think so. Wants to build the political infrastructure necessary to win our communities, to compel voters to exercise their right to vote in the Commonwealth so we can help elect officials who will advocate for strong progressive policies in the halls of Washington and Harrisburg. As PA's legislative map is heavily gerrymandered, we must turn out Democrats en masse. On Twitter, please follow and support at Kadida, that's spelled K-A-D-I-D-A, Kenner, K-E-N-N-E-R, and at New Pennsylvania so we can mobilize Pennsylvania's often ignored constituents, youth, and communities of color Together, we can expand and transform the electorate in the Commonwealth. I submit mm. this photo of me and with Kadita in beautiful Bucks County. Love Bucks County. So beautiful. For a pet tax, here is my standard poodle, Thibault, or is it Tybalt? Oh, yeah. Pronounced Tebow. <laughs> uh, t- whoops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> showing off his new summer coiffure. Wow. Many words I don't know how to pronounce. He gets super hot, so he's closely shorn with Uggs. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> Very elegant. <gasps> Look at this beautiful hair. And I love the Uggs. Yes. Oh. Very elegant. And these are such smart doggos. Yeah. They really, they really are. are. Oh, what a beautiful dog. Oh, at the end. Also, I'd like to submit a town twister. There is a county in Michigan called, here we go. Wait for it. <laughs> Gra. Gratio. I'm going to say gratio. My daughter is doing her residency in Detroit, Michigan. Given the pronunciation of the state name, can you guess how to pronounce? It's spelled G-R-A-T-I-O-T. Nope. No. I would say I would say grotto or grotto. I don't. Gra- I don't know. Gratio. Well, well, she says given the pronunciation of the state name. State name. Michigan. 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 <laughs> Gracio. Gracio. I don't know. Let's see. Nope. No lie. It's gray shit. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, where do you live? Uh, I'm in gray shit, Michigan. (laughs) The county of gray shit. And then you hold up your hand to make the mitten and then point at your ass. (laughs) (laughs) We shit gray here. No access to vegetables. It's oh so man! So cold. We shit gray. Wow, that's that's uh, a lot. That's that's gray shit. All right. Well, that's on my list of places to go. Take your word for it. Next up from anonymous pronouns, she and her friends. Thursday's show pronounced the town submission with the unbelievable words "fucking killed me." <laughs> you asked us to slow it down to half speed. That was epic. <laughs> then I sped it up two oh, times, even better. <laughs> We love to play with the speed on this. It was literally the, it had like 40 or 50 letters in the name of this town. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Here's uh, my kitten Pippa is getting bigger and even more chill. We loves her. She's not on the Graham Pippa nine lives. Tax is attached. Louis Gohmert is dumber than a toe jam ball. Ew. (laughs) <laughs> thanks for helping me get through the day all oh, that's pippa. a cutie cat oh oh i get it so her her instagram is pippa nine lives two p's and pippa that's cute yeah pippa nine lives Aww. on the gram yeah okay next up amy no pronouns given way back at the beginning of the lockdown my husband and i binged a lot of shows on Britbox and acorn one of them is a welsh show called hidden i was fascinated by the welsh being spoken so uh i looked for it on duolingo 440 days later i am still learning holy shit that's the holy shit was mine uh it is a complex language and my accent (laughs) is terrible i have a welsh friend on facebook who helps me out from time to time he shared some welsh swears with me like Louis Gomert, Dim Gwerth, oh, here we go. Man, y'all hate me today. Louis Gomert, Dim Gwerth Rech Dafad. The CH sounds, lock. oh, sound okay. is the same as the Scottish lock. Okay, so, so, Rech, yeah, Rech Dafad. It means Louis Gomert, Dim Gwerth Rech Yeah, there you go. Okay. Louis Gomert is not worth a sheep's fart. <laughs> I wanted to include a pet pic, but they're all on my phone. I am on ye old desktop at the moment, and I am old who can't tech for shit. <laughs> oh, I am an old. I, like how, I messed up. I am an old. I, I am an old who cannot tech. I like how you said I'm on ye oldie desktop yes, at the mo. At the mo. And and that reminds me of uh, Paul Rudd in I Love You Man, <laughs> like when he's trying to be cool and he says stuff like, Catch on the manjay or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's like slap a, in the base. Latris on the manjay oh. or I'll, I'll see you in a gif. Uh, I'll call you as soon as you get a mo uh, moment. <laughs> and he's just ridiculous. He's so funny. Well, I love it. And Amy, well, you can't be that old because learning Welsh seems really hard. So your brain is totally. working overtime. Totes. Totes my goats. Now, I, now I'm going to talk like Paul yeah. Rudd for the rest of the episode. I'll take it. Hanging in the chill station. Jackson, <laughs> just so fucking funny. Uh, next up, Gigi speaks free. Hello, Beans Queens. Thanks for being my primary news source. Just a note to share a swear. One of my mother's favorite saying is, "It's better to be pissed off than pissed on." That is true. It is t- well, unless you're Donald Trump. Yep. It is typically deployed substitute for "It could be worse" or uh, "worse" or "say la vie." 
Often as a child, my sister or I would report that the other was making us angry. She would shrug and say, better to be pissed off than pissed on and return to chain smoking and soap watching. (laughs) Then seeing that we would receive no parental intervention would return to the outdoors until the streetlights came on. Same Gigi. Ah, childhood in the 80s. Yes, they didn't know. Our our parents didn't know where we were a 90 percent of the time when when I was growing up in the 80s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, it was go out go to the woods, go play in the forest and the cornfields and come back when the streetlights come on. I love that. Thank you, AG and DG, for helping us through this tumultuous time. There have been many dark days, yeah, over the last 18 months for me and the rest of the world. However, Allison's clear reporting and righteous fury tempered by Dana's compassionate comedy and Amy is also amazing. I'm just throwing uh. it in there. Is a light at the end of the light at the end of the winding tunnel. My pet tax is Oreo, the triple stuffed variety, a rescue who was dropped at my door by the world's worst neighbor. He spent a month traumatized and hiding in my closet before deciding I was not half bad. He is either in love or has a bad case of Stockholm syndrome. His name is undignified, so I call him handsome. Oh, wait, I want to know the good, name the... now. I know. Wow, what What's a beauty. Shithead. I wonder if she called him shithead. Shithead. <laughs> That's a very, very gorgeous, handsome cat. He does have a handsome cat face. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yay. This, I, okay, this next one. Yes, yes, yes. And this is next up on my on my radar tomorrow. Um, from Rad, pronouns they, them, at Rad City, but spelled with an S on Instagram. Oh, my God. I am beyond, I'd be beyond thrilled if Amy still wanted to repost the fan art I sent. Please keep being awesome and making such a lovely podcast. I will be posting that tomorrow morning. I love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Rad City. Rad City. Rad S-I-T-Y. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm going to follow. give you a follow on the on the, on gram, the grams, on the igs, on the ig. Catch on the ig flow. <laughs> <laughs> You're really committing to this. You know what? I, I feel like this I is am. a love letter to Paul Rudd. And what other kind of letters are there? But love... To PR. Ugh, he's so hot. He's so do, hot. do you know, to, he just turned, no, this was last year, actually. Same age Paul Rudd is now as as Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon. How old is that? <laughs> well, I, if you haven't seen Cocoon. I haven't. It, really? He plays a senior citizen no. in an old folks home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, if I had to guess, I actually don't know how old Paul Rudd is, but if I had to guess, I would say he was like 42. Only, yeah, only because I've seen. younger than me, but he's older than me. Mm-hmm. Wow. He's just hot. Gets better with age. All right. Next up from Anonymous. Oh, wait. Is it my turn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, are you sure? No, go ahead. Take the next one. That was a short one. Uh, Pronounce you her Anonymous. Okay. So I've been listening for a few years and I always wanted to write in, but never had any good enough news in my eyes to get up the courage and actually write in. And all of that changed today. Forgive me for the long narrative, but to truly understand, you have to hear the bad. In an effort to shorten the story the best I can, you need to know that I lost my father my second year of law school. Terrible. He went missing. Oh my God. He went missing for three months and his body was recovered a few days before Thanksgiving in 2017. In tribute to him, I stayed in school, organized searches from campus when I couldn't be there in person and kept my grades. In 2019, I graduated with a JD, with my JD. And in February, 2020, I took and passed the New York uh, bar then, uh, then COVID it was during COVID. I took a paralegal job with a narcissist and a truly horrible person. And then I found out I was pregnant. That was happy news just to be clear. So, f- so for nine months, I worked 70 hours a week for shit money for a shit person. And in February, 2021 gave birth to a beautiful little boy in March, my employer refused to pay my health insurance. Now that I had a child, Oh, what an asshole. So the jerk cuts my insurance off while I'm on maternity leave. And I say, F this and quit. There's more. Uh, So those of you who have caught on, I didn't mention being admitted to the bar. Due to the hours I worked and the world being shut down, the process was met with delay after delay. But one week after I quit, I'm offered another job. Better pay, better hours, better benefits. I've been working for three weeks, and today I took my oath of attorney, and I am officially an attorney in New York State. 
You you know what? You know what's so great yeah. about this is because today when she is it yeah, she her when she took the oath, she is now more credentialed than Rudy yes. Giuliani to practice law in the state of New York. <laughs> Hey, I love that. Oh, that's so cool. After all the soap opera like drama that has been the past few years, it was all worth it to make to take the oath today and to make my father and my son mm. proud. Please excuse any typos as I'm writing this with my son asleep in my arms, my pup at my feet and my father watching over me. And I am utterly overwhelmed with joy. Pod tax below one of my happy boy and one of my baby girl pup who thinks... Uh, the milestone blanket is always laid out just for her. <gasps> Wait a minute. That's a cute baby. Oh, I love it. Sweet I love her it. Baby. I love that the toy Look is bigger happy. than the baby. Yeah, the sock monkey oh, is gigantic. So good. Or the baby is tiny. And then, yeah, the, the blanket. You know how the you yeah. know, watch me grow. I'm two months oh. old. Those blankets. So you take a yeah. picture. The dog is just hanging out on there. That's nice. Oh, well, you know what? It's good to it's put to good use because you only like really use the blanket once a month. So, right. Yeah. The dog's like, what about <laughs> the other 30 up. days? Oh, that's huh? so cool. I'm oh, God. What a story. I know. Just I know. gone through so much adversity. Also, this baby actually looks really tall to me. No, like long. Yeah, I don't know. I, there's not a lot of for reference. Well, that's true. Just adorable. Just adorable. So cool. Model baby. And and I'm with you, she, her. I mean, it was a, a shit smackdown sandwich for, for a year and a half there. And now there's a lot of good stuff, uh, not just emerging from COVID that's that's happening, I think, for a lot of people. So congratulations and uh, love you. This is awesome. What an, what an adorable baby and what an adorable pup. Yes. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all your stories. If you want to share something with us, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com, clicking on contact. I'm this. This is the last official minutes of my work. And then I don't have to do any work yeah. for a week. And I'm I'm low key freaking out. I haven't not worked in a really long time. What are you what are your what is your first not work related thing you're going to do? Well, on Sunday, I'm flying to Puerto Vallarta with some Amazing. friends of mine who I worked with at the Department of Veterans Affairs. They're nurses, oh. and we're all divor- and we're all divorcees. Great. So it's going to be it's going to be yacht rock time. <laughs> yeah. But I bought I have like six new swimsuits. I'm just going to wear all my different swimsuits and go to different bodies of water and lay next yes. to them with with frozen beverages. That's and all go I can in see. them. I'm just saying that's an option too. Oh yeah! Wow. Swimming, hot tubbing. Uh, I I do have a book. I'm gonna you know I'm reading Hatchet Man okay, right okay. now by Ellie Honig because once the MSW book club for Mary Trump is over, I'm gonna do an I'm gonna do a Hatchet Man book club cool. and we're gonna have Ellie join us at the end. Very cool. But so I guess that, but you know, people read books on vacation. Yeah. Um, it's just going to be weird. I I may like record like a little on my, you know, my iPhone voice recording. Like if somebody gets indicted yeah, yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like, oh shit. And maybe send yeah. that. In, we won't deny you that, that deliciousness. But other than that, I think people have to like really force you to take this vacation. I know. I know. It's going to be fun and weird. I'm I'm a little nervous. I, I'm weird without work today. Yeah, you know? yeah, anyway. but then that'll go away. Like you know, a day in, a couple margaritas, <laughs> spicy margaritas in. You're gonna be like, work who? <laughs> well, I will definitely make sure to take lots of pictures. Yes. And uh, so none of us will be here next week. I I have recorded. I have so many great interviews that I've been recording on the download over the last few weeks. Um, brand new content that everyone will have next week, but. Uh, but you know, you and me and, and Dana will be away and yes. we'll be back the week after that. Cool. Well, eat all of the yummy food, enjoy the, and wear sunscreen. I know I don't know to tell you this, but mm-hmm. reapply every couple hours and then you'll get a better tan that way, you know, especially over true. the tats. Just saying. Super true. Is your tattoo all healed? Now? It is all healed. Yeah. Oh, it looks beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful uh, Independence Day. Um, we will see you. I'll see you. I'll, I think I'll see everybody before then on July 3rd uh, or July 4th. But uh, until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. 
Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.